Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. My name is Mark and I'm part of the team here and I've um, been away a little bit but it's amazing to be back and to be preaching and absolutely love what we do and what we get to do and get to do who we get to do it with and see what God is doing. There's a bit more space in the front now. These your Uno cards, Rion? Just all over. It's amazing. They're mine. Okay. I was quite intrigued by Jason's setup here. I reckon you could launch Starship Enterprise from here. I want to just preach behind one of these one day. I'm like, what? Well, you could literally do anything from this, I'm sure. There's laptops and anyway, I was amazed. That's totally not the point. And I uh, really got to get to preaching tonight. Needless to say, I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be preaching and I trust you're well and looking forward to seeing what God has for us in this amazing year. As we sang this amazing song, God, there's so much more in Him. There's always more in Him and He's got incredible miracles and He's got life. And uh, and uh, we went, I went away, I was in Durban for a bit with some friends and then uh, we had the privilege of going camping. And uh, tonight my talk is called, This is How I Fight My Battles. I don't know if Jerry knew that or whoever was planning worship knew that. But I'm talking about how I fight my battles and how I believe a model that Jesus gives us to fight our battles. As I've realized that um, when generals look at war, they go and study the battles of the past. So when enemies approach or when battles approach, they have studied war. They are prepared in their strategies and their understanding of battles and fighting battles. And um, I had a battle when we were in camping, a, a battle I lost. We were hiking and we were running and we were doing all sorts of things. And then after lunch, someone said this, like a battle cry. It went like this. Let's play touch rugby. It was like a battle cry, but I didn't hear the battle in it because I'd forgotten for a moment I was 40 years old. And these hamstrings are now many tears down the road. And as I was reaching out to grab a 12-year-old whose hamstrings are like rubber bands, they just keep going, mine Someone shot me, actually. That's the truth. A sniper from the mountains shot me in my right hamstring. And I realized I hadn't prepared for this battle well. See, when I was younger, I used to prepare for battle of rugby. I know, ladies, don't give me rugby analogies. I'm sorry. I apologize. But it's what I got tonight. But we used to prepare for months. And um, we used to take silly things like creatine and too much of it. And we'd eat all sorts of carbs to try to get bigger and see how big we could get. And I I never really succeeded in that regard, but um, I prayed for six foot my whole life. It didn't happen, but there's more to come. But I realized as, as I reached out to touch this 12-year-old and the hamstring went, in that instant, I realized I have not prepared well for this battle. Lesson learned, I hope, until they say, let's play touch again. But my hamstring's recovering. Thank you. I can see the concern on your faces. Um, but in my rest time, after my hamstring incident, I had to rest a bit. So I've been watching war movies pretty much about the 800s, about King Alfred and his men and how they king extended their kingdoms and fighting for kings. And you realize as they navigate battles, they would call in men who had been in battles. They didn't want other little dudes who kind of thought they would have a go at battles. Well, you know, I, I played, um, you, you know, what do you call the thing? PlayStation. It doesn't count. When it comes to sending men into battle, it doesn't count when you're running into battle. It doesn't count. What counts is you want men and women around you who've been in battles, face battles, because you want battle strategy. 
Battles are won and lost not just on the sheer numbers and your brute force. Battles are won and lost on strategy. And as I've been thinking about this, and as I've had the last couple of weeks, which I'll tell you about, I've been thinking that I don't know if the church are so good at facing battles. I'm concerned that as believers, we don't look at Jesus and see the strategies for life and battles that we encounter that he gives us in his model and his ways and his word. And I'm, I believe that there's a mandate on us to go back to his word, look at his ways and understand the life that he lived and everything he did and say, actually, there are battles coming and we're not afraid of the battles that are coming, but we're going to have some strategies of life to face up to those battles. Yes, our king fights our battles. Yes, we fight in praise. And yes, there are all these things. But Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in this world you'll have trouble. It's like a radical thing. In me you're going to have peace. But in this world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have some battles. You're going to face up to a few battles. And that's okay because I'll be with you. But I'm going to show you how to walk those battles. I'm going to show you how to navigate those battles. And they're going to look like times of plenty and they look like times of famine. They're going to look like health issues. They're going to look like kid challenges. They're going to look like a whole bunch of things. And for one person, a battle will look different to another, but they'll look like battles. And God's going to call us to fight them. And the challenges, what God is calling, is calling a people who every morning wake up and go, God is amazing. But all too often, I've seen people in the presence of God worshiping, overcome by the presence of the Spirit of God. And on Monday morning, it's hashtag hopeless, life is terrible. I'm going, it cannot be. Because last night you were in the presence of God. Last night you were face to face with the glory, the King of glory. It cannot be that today you are hopeless. Because hope is alive in Jesus. In Jesus, because of who He is. Not because how I feel this morning. Not because of the wind and the waves that might be still or they might be blowing. Because of Jesus. Just strategies for battle. You've got to look back now. And maybe if you've lived a little longer than some in the room, you, you've faced a few more battles. But do you have strategies for battle? What do you do when tough times come? What do you do when battles come? Where do you, what do you default to? Do, is it short-term solutions? Is it quick fixes? Is it head in the sand? Is it run to someone who looks like they might know what to do? Does God give us strategies? Because when I look at his word, I think he gives us strategies. And I think he's calling us out. See, he calls his disciples out. They're in a little dinghy. They're in a boat crossing a sea. And wind starts raging and waves start raging. And they cry and say, Jesus. And the way they're crying out, they're saying, Jesus, come as the captain of a ship and settle this storm. And he says, but your prayer is too small. I'm the commander of the wind and the waves. Why do you ask me to steer a ship when I can command the wind and the waves to be still? And God's lifting our vision. To see him afresh again with passion and with faith and to be a people who will take a hold of the more. Not just on Sundays, but every day of the year, every day of our lives. But it has been an interesting couple of weeks for me, if, if um, you probably would, might not have heard. But friends of ours who are leaders of another church named Richard and Jackie Mungavin, and they have ministered here, so that's why we would know them as a church. And they're a couple who are loved by this church and have worked in this church. On Christmas Eve, I got a phone call from Richard just before our evening service. And, and Jackie and Richard, Jackie and, and her daughter, Kiara, were in the car and they were pulling into church and Jackie was going to be preaching the Christmas Eve service. And they were struck by a motorbike in a quite a radical accident. And at first they didn't know the extent of the injuries and there was an operation to relieve the pain and they removed bone from her brain. And it looked all right and it looked like everything was under control. And on Christmas morning it looked, it changed. 
and the brain started swelling, and they had to remove half her skull cap. There's, have you guys seen the story on Facebook? It's been everywhere. It's been on every news. It's, it's incredible. But it was radical. And just before our 8 o'clock service, I looked on Mango. There was one flight, one seat available to Durban, and I booked it. But I didn't know the extent of the damage. Just I knew that my friend was in pain, his child was in pain, and I've walked with him for 34 years. We were at grade one together. We have played sport together for years. We've done marathons together. We have uh, had fun together. We have pioneered church together. We've preached together. We've done all these things together. I wasn't not going to be there for this moment. But then, as I got on the plane at about 1 o'clock, I'm landing at 3 o'clock, I did what you're not supposed to do, so don't do this because it's illegal. I put my phone on early. Don't tell anyone. Okay, it's our secret. I won't do it again ever. I'm not promising. And, um, but, but there was a message that came up. A message that, that shook me to my core. It just said this. So we're losing her. And the doctor's doing a last attempt to try to save her life. Now, the plane's still going down. We're not on the ground yet. I've got sunglasses on, and I'm weeping like a baby. People think I'm having an anxiety attack. They don't know that I fly quite a bit, so I'm used to planes. I'm just weeping because my friend is weeping because there's pain in this story. Then on, I'm with them all day, and we prayed all night, and I get to the hospital, and there's just people praying. There's about 100 people outside, emergency, just praying, worshiping God, praying, trusting God. But the prognosis is Kiara's dying. There's zero brain activity. There's brain stem activity in her brain. What do you call it? Brain stem. On, on, on Boxing Day, I have to go and fetch the other six children, bring them to hospital so they could say goodbye to her sister. It's a radical situation. I walk into the hospital room and I just saw Richard. I saw my friend who I've known most of my life and his eyes like this and he's not looking well. But God, and today, four weeks later, three, almost four weeks later, Kiara is alive. Her brain cap skull is in her stomach as it stands right now. And there's an operation to happen, but she's alive. She's speaking. She's healthy. And God has done a miracle. He's done a miracle. But why, why do I tell you all of that? Because I've watched my friends. The Bible says in Hebrews, it challenges us. It says, consider your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Richard and Jackie McGavin are leaders to me. They're friends, but they're leaders to us as a church. And I've had the privilege of being close. I spent five days up with them straight off the accident. I've been back up for another six days, and I was up there yesterday with them. I've had the ability to be close in the hardest time of their life, and I have an opportunity to consider. And I want to tell you they've fought a battle that I, in a way that I haven't seen many believers fight with faith and strength and maturity and wisdom and clarity and ability to navigate. But when I look at Jesus, I want to take us to Jesus tonight because how we fight our battles is important and he shows us how to fight battles. You see, I don't think the greatest victory, I don't think the greatest battle Jesus fought, the greatest victory surely was, but the greatest battle he fought, I don't think was Calvary. I think the greatest battle he fought was Gethsemane. And if you don't know what Gethsemane is, I'm going to tell you now, but Gethsemane was... Judas has made the deal. The game is on. Jesus had had the last supper with the disciples. And he says, come boys, we're going to go to Gethsemane, which is an olive grove. And in that place, I'm going to fight a battle. 
that they didn't understand. And that's where we are in the scripture. Matthew 26, will you read with me? It'll be on the screen. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and his two sons, the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, good mates, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed, and for the third time, saying these words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is more than just a little prelude to Calvary. Calgary. This is more than just a, 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 a prelude to the bigger event. I believe this was the definitive moment of the battle that set up the great victory. I believe this is the moment where Jesus' humanity and his godness collide. And his Jesus, God-man, is fine. He's strong. He's all God. He's all. But Jesus, man, son of man, is struggling. I, I find it amazing as he says that. He says, he speaks to Peter. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't know if he's just talking about Peter. I think he's recognizing that his own fleshly reality of coming as in our form and shape is struggling with the reality and the pain and the battle that he is about to face. He is struggling. And he comes up with a strategy that we can look and we can read over and go, well, that's just what he did because that's where he's walking. No, it was an intentional journey. He didn't have to take this journey from where he was, but he takes an intentional journey to Gethsemane and he does a few simple things that I believe if we as believers would follow our king, if we as believers would look at his ways of fighting battles, we will grow and we will learn and we'll be able to face up to battles, whatever that battle may be. Because I believe there are battles. And point number one is so simple. It's a statement we say all the time in this church, but it's this statement, doing life together. We say it all the time. We say it in our partnership courses. We talk about it. We speak about it, but it becomes this glib language that church people use. What does that mean? As I've processed what it potentially means, I've looked at Scripture, and I think there's a better description of what doing life together actually looks like. It says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I, I think that's doing life together. See, we can just be in each other's presence. We can just hang out. We can do church together, which is just doing this. Or we can do life together, which is we will weep with those who are weeping in our midst. And even tonight, there are people in our midst weeping. And we'll rejoice with those who are rejoicing because in our midst, there are those who are rejoicing. But God calls, you want to do community? My community is going to be a people who are good at weeping together and the people who are good at rejoicing together. And when you can do both of those, my name will get glory. I heard a terrible statistic about the church in the U.S. And it was speaking about the most unreached people groups of the USA. Who are they? Is it a race? Is it an age group? 
It's neither of those. It's a people group. A people who are in wheelchairs. The paraplegic people in America are the most unreached people group for Christianity. Just think about it for a second. I don't think it's because the buildings are inaccessible. America's health and safety are way ahead of ours. Every building will have access. But I think the challenge is you've got a people who are weeping still. There are measures of their inability to face up to some challenged life. And yes, many have found victories in their soul, but there's a weeping reality. And as a church, with sometimes a victorious dispensation, and Jesus, and if you're not living victoriously, you aren't blessed, which is rubbish. Because God says, actually, in suffering, He will bring through fruit and He reveals sonship. We can have an whole another conversation around that. But I think, I think, our ability to weep together will be the mark of church. Now, sure. He takes our weeping and brings joy and we get promises, but there are moments when we are going to weep. And as I walk into a, a theater where very few people are allowed in, and I see my friend and he is weeping, not because he doesn't trust Jesus, not because he doesn't believe in miracles, not because he hasn't seen miracles, just because he's weeping. We get to weep and share those moments together. But I, Jesus says, doing life together, I want to tell you what that looks like. He says this in verse 36, then Jesus went with them, the disciples, they've been in the upper room, they've been in his presence, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. It's an amazing, he takes all 12 dudes, says, come, I don't know where Judas is, maybe slipped out the back. But he takes them and says, come boys, we're going to go pray. He takes all 12 of them with him, Why? Because with these guys, he's wept and he's rejoiced. With these guys, he's walked for three years and he's had meals with them. With these guys, he's invested his life. He left heaven to come to earth and he invests his life into 12 dudes. He's invested his life. I want to ask you tonight, who would you call? If a strategy of Jesus, if you're going to call your 12 because you're going to contend for something that's a battle in your life, who would you call? Who are the ones you've invested your life? Who are the people you've prayed with? Who are the people you've rejoiced with? Who are the people you've wept with? Who are the people who know your weaknesses because they've walked with you for three years and they've seen your weaknesses? Jesus says to those guys, come. See, could they do anything? Could they affect any outcome? They didn't even know what was going on. They were the ones when Jesus was crucified. They were the ones that fleed. They left them. But he still took them. So he didn't choose perfect people. He chose his friends, the ones he'd spent time with, to walk that moment with them. There's an insight there. See, and I walk into a hospital, and there's 100 people on Christmas Day who've left lunches on dining, on dining room tables. I heard story after story of how this turkey and that gammon got thrown away and no one cared because someone they loved, someone they'd wept with and someone they'd rejoiced with, a family that had shared their life with them were weeping in that moment and they invaded a hospital. I saw a hospital invaded to the point that a private hospital, a fancy Lani hospital, gave them the whole day ward for 10 days. For 10 days, young 14-year-old girls that I knew their parents before the girls were even, before the parents were married, they're now young ladies of 14 and they've learned what it is to pray, they've learned what it is to contend, and they spent 10 days. They didn't leave the hospital in December holidays praying for their friend. 
because they believe in the ways of Jesus that don't do life together. And we pray. And then he shows us something else. And he says, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. It's amazing. He takes the 12 to the outskirts. And then he says, I want Peter, James, and John. The same guys he took into Jairus' home when he engaged and said, Talita kum. Those same guys he took up to the Mount of Transfiguration who, who said, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Let's stay here. Those same guys he journeyed with in that moment of turmoil and facing a battle. He chooses those three guys. Now, we don't know why. We don't know if he, they were his favorites. We don't know if they were his best mates. We have some insights into the nature of his relationship, but they were people he seemed to lean into more. In, a, in, in high times, like mountain transfiguration, and in low times, like facing a battle of Gethsemane. He leaned into them. There's a, how do you fight your battles? Is there a crew you can call of 12? Maybe it's eight. Maybe it's three. But are there those? that you bring closer and you can express that I, the King of glory, not me, but Jesus expresses to his mates, Jesus is sorrowful. It's an amazing insight because most of us struggle to tell anyone anything, but Jesus tells these two guys, I've got pain and I'm fighting a battle and I need you to pray. Now, sure, they didn't play their part. We're not talking about them tonight. We're talking about Jesus and his strategy for battle. And then he gives us one more insight in his strategy for battle. He tells them this. He says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. It's an amazing thing. Jesus tells these three dudes, guys who lacked faith at times, guys who were up and down, Peter who failed him at times, and and men who would deny him. He knew that. And he still chooses to communicate with them that his soul was in pain and he was sorrowful. How do you fight your battles? Do you go into a hole and stay there until the day changes? Because I think Jesus gives us a model that we bring a team, a smaller team, people we've walked with, navigated and had highs and lows with, and we communicate with them something. Like, I'm hurting right now. Or, My daughter's in an operating room, and the doctor's told me she's going to die, and I don't know if I have faith to see her raised from the dead right now. Because you might have to have that conversation one day. See, this situation, I think, has gone around the world because everyone fears one thing if you're a parent. It's you can take everything, just don't touch my kids. And every fear rises up. Jesus gives us a strategy. He has his 12, he has his three, and then he communicates with them. I'm just trying to give you handles to help the process. There's another thing. He says, go the process. Point number two, and it's a simple thing. He says, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He has the human heart in Jesus, the man heart. He's troubled. And I think it's okay to be troubled in a process of pain like this, of facing a battle. What battle are you facing? Your boss, you just got back to work and your boss says you're getting a decrease in work, in pay. Or or maybe someone's just disappointed you, or maybe all this is going on. Actually, Jesus says, it's okay to be troubled. Joseph gets the news, your fiance is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a different hair color, different eyes, and different nose. Kind of like my kids. And um, (laughs) blue eyes, blonde hair, we don't know. People ask. Thank you, Jesus. But, but Joseph was troubled, but Jesus is troubled. And I think it gives us license to be troubled. 
That's why you need a strategy because battles bring troubled hearts to kings and warriors alike. And it's okay. I want to give you license to be troubled. And I, 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 that message, we're, we're losing her. Grip so deep in my soul because my friend was reaching out to me. He's reaching out. I couldn't do anything. I'm not a doctor. But I'm a man of faith. I believe in God the healer. And I know God is in control. And all I messaged back to him was, I'm coming. That's all I could say. And Jesus then does, shows us something else. Point number three, he takes up the spiritual battle. See, so many people get in these battles with work and they start fighting their boss. Jesus could have started fighting, oh God, it's Judas. Make Judas drink the cup. Here we go, Judas. Start fighting that battle, the blame battle. We kick into, I'm fighting a battle, so I'm going to fight someone else. I'm not going to fight this battle. I'm going to distract myself with a whole bunch of stuff. Or even, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. And we give so much glory to the enemy while he didn't even know what was going on. He's going, yeah, I'm the man. I'm the guy. And it actually had nothing to do with him. Actually, just a moment of chaos happened. God was always in control, but we live in a world of chaos. And it happens. We don't give too much glory to the enemy. Jesus does this. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Let me stop there. The king of glory, the one who knew the faithfulness of the mighty king above and the father in heaven falls on his face and he prays. What do you do when battles come? Because if Jesus, the son of God, has to fall on his face and pray, I'm telling you there's a strategy there for you, you, and me, to get back to prayer, to get back to humility, to get back to on our faces in prayer and calling on our God again. But he doesn't just pray. He prays this prayer. It starts like this. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. It's amazing. He taught them how to pray before. What did he say? Our father who art in heaven. But this prayer in a battle, this prayer on his face in the sand, this prayer he cries out, my father. There's got to be a time where your knowledge of the father kicks in and you call him your father rather than just the someone out there God because he's not the someone out there God. He is your father. And your theology gets tested in moments like this and battles that come of who is God. He's my father. And then Jesus gives us the liberty to be a people who can ask our Father. And Jesus says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. I don't want to drink it. I just don't. Oh, God, Jesus was strong. Jesus knew what he was doing. No, look at Jesus. If it is possible, let this cup pass. He's saying that cup is so full of physical pain. I'm going to be beaten and whipped and my body will be broken and bruised and blood will pour out until I die. And then there is the emotional pain. While that is happening, the the 12 dudes I've invested my life into, they will run for the hills and deny me. And there is spiritual pain because that cup is full of the sin of the world. And it's uh, the only one who was perfectly sinless had to drink it. He knew the pain that was coming. And he says, Father, if it is possible... You've got to ask in your prayers. 
And I walked into the hospital. And Richard said, do you want to pray with Kiara? I said, yes. And we walked in. And I walked in with my friend. And I walked into a room where there were so many machines. And there's a bandage around her head. And on the side of the bandage, there's these words, no bone. It's that image that will never leave me. As this little girl who had really no hope and no bone protecting her brain at all. Is lying there. I said, Rich, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to raise this girl from this bed. And we're going to cry out to our father because we know him. And I sat holding Kiara's hand in my one hand and my friend Richard's hand in the other hand. As we wept and we cried and we called out and we wept and we cried and we called out. And I didn't care what the doctors thought and I didn't care what the nurses thought. And I didn't care what the dudes in the bed next door thought because my father was listening. He says, what do you want? I want her alive. And I prayed too small a prayer, people. I'm going to confess you. I just prayed, God, let her live. It didn't seem possible that she would speak again. It didn't seem possible that she wouldn't be brain damaged. I just prayed, God, let her live. And yet God is far more glorious than that. But Jesus modeled to us, said, if it is possible, let this cup pass by. But then you know where the battle was won? The battle wasn't won there. The battle was won in this statement. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Battle won. Battle won. Battle won as a son knows his father. Battle won as a son trusts his father. Battle won in our lives when we make the decision to trust and obey. Trust and obey the glorious king who sees what we don't see. And his perspective is different to what we see. And I need to see what he sees, but I don't always see it. And I spent two weeks in a hospital room in Amschlange, and I thought this place was massive until a friend of mine said, you need to get out the hospital. Let's go for a paddle. And we paddled six Ks out to sea. And as we turned to see the city of Durban on the hill is a little speck called Amschlange Hospital, and it's this big. And I'm going, God, that's what you see. And inside that hospital is Kiara, and you can heal her with one breath. Jesus wins the battle, I believe, because he understands the truth of Romans 12, where people pray it, and it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the Father's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. But I want to tell you, as I've said it before from this pulpit, I believe the will of the Father is good, perfect, and pleasing for me always. But it doesn't always seem good, perfect, and pleasing to me. Just as my will for my sons at times doesn't seem pleasing to them. Do not go too far out to sea. Do not jump off that 15-meter cliff. Go to the 10-meter one. Oh, Dad. No, I love you. And I would give my life for you. And you need to listen to me because my will for you is to bless you. It is good. And it's not always perfect because I'm an earthly father, but there is a heavenly father whose will is good, perfect, and pleasing for us in every situation. And at five o'clock, as Kiara was in that Honda with her mother, God's hand upon her life was strong. And in the instant that motorbike hit her car, God's hand upon her was strong. And afterwards, when her body was broken, God's hand upon her was strong. And as she has been raised from that bed, God's hand is upon her. He's never taken his hand off her life. Not once. Not once. 
He's always been in control. He's always been able to heal her. But my job as a son in a battle is to stand and say, Father, I trust you. You are glorious. You have always been and you always will be. And yes, uh, he leans us, as the scripture calls us, to be on the front foot for healing and the front foot for faith and the front foot to call. And that is my quest. God, heal her. But you're in control. And he accepts it and he moves forward. I want to give you one more truth about this battle Jesus fought because I think it's magnificent. I've had to learn some things through this. See, because in that same hospital, I was told by a doctor my wife would never fall pregnant. In that same hospital, we were told by another doctor that our third child would be a Down syndrome child. See, God's done it before. And he'll do it again. And we sing songs like, there is so much more, but we limit what it could be. But you know what Jesus wants from our life? He wants the essence. And I've been close to two people, a mother and a father, who've stood under the greatest trial And I've watched the essence come out. The essence. And Gethsemane means oil press. Gethsemane was an oil field. So abundant in olive, not oil, olives, that they put an olive press, an oil press in the middle of Gethsemane. And what they would do is they would disturb the trees and the ripe olives would fall to the ground. They would catch them in a blanket. They would take those olives and put them in the press. And then they would push the stone around. And the stone would press out the oil from the olives as the olives had ripened. But you know what the extra virgin olive oil was? It was the the pulp that was left behind in the press. And they would take that and they would put them in Hessian type sacks. And they would put those on top of each other and they would take a, a massive log from a tree and they would lower it down slowly onto those sacks. And they would allow the pressure over time to come upon those sacks and the pulp of those olives and the oil, the extra virgin of olive oil would begin to come out. The most precious, the most beautiful, the most potent. God wants us to fight battles that sometimes will look like over time pressure. And he wants to bring the oil of anointing out of our lives. So this world can receive Jesus. And he wants to do it with the Mungavans in Durban. He wants to do it with your life and my life. And he says, it's not going to happen by your own little strategies for battle. It's going to happen by choosing Jesus, seeing Jesus, trusting Jesus. And as Jesus responded, would his people, see, we sing these songs. Oh, to be like you, to give all I have. And yet he tells us what he's like. And he shows us what he's like. And he calls us to be like him. I want, the, I want the precious oil of Jesus to come from my life. I don't know what battles lie ahead of me, but I know they are battles. For two years, I've watched my, fight, my wife fight a battle of her health. I've watched that battle closely, and I've watched the beauty of knowing Jesus and the joy found only in Jesus and not circumstance come out, and it is glorious, and it heals people. And it brings life to a broken world. He wants to do the same with you and I. He says, I want you to fight battles differently. I want you to see me. I want you to rise. I want you to allow in the midst of battle, trial, and pressure upon your life, I want oil to come out. Precious oil.
God has done a great thing in healing Kiara. And maybe you're struggling with why Kiara. Is it a pastor's kid? Is that why? No, it's not that. God just sovereignly chose. Because he's God. But he'll do it again. And our job is to keep pushing into the mighty king. And if you are struggling with health right now, trust God. Gather friends, pray, trust him, fight the battle well, and bring him glory. Can I pray for us tonight? Will you stand with me, if that's all right? I I really pray tonight would not be something of an emotional, but you would see Jesus in that moment of battle, and you would allow the revelation of Jesus facing up his greatest battle and winning, I believe, the victory in that moment. And he can set us up for victory. To face battle. Jesus, in this place, we glorify your name. We wonder and we marvel at you. We, we say there is none like you, God. There is none like you, King. Father, we stand amazed. We wonder at our magnificent Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father, who sees it all. Our Father, who is above it all. Our Father, who secures my lot. Our Father, we look to you. We glory in you. And Holy Spirit, as you were revealing, showing, and moving in power, we stand amazed again. And every word we sung tonight is ringing in my soul, reminding me that I worship a magnificent King who speaks two words to the winds and the waves. Be still. And I repent for praying small prayers sometimes, God. Asking for a captain just to steer my ship when you are calling me to call on a commander who commands the winds and the waves. Raise my perspective, God. Pour faith into my soul. Let me see you again, the glorious risen God. And let me burn for your glory, God. And if under pressure you would bring out oil to bring you glory, to bring healing, I pray, do it, God. I want to be like Jesus. I want the Spirit of God to burn upon me. I want to burn for the glory of God. And I want us as a people in this time in this city, we want to see miracles, God. We believe there is so much more, God. We aren't interested in filling seats in a church. We are interested in seeing your glory come to the ends of the earth. And if you'll do it through raising Kiara from a bed, we say, God, do it again and again and again. Raise broken marriages from broken deathbeds again and again. Take lives and bodies that have no bone to stand. And upon their lives is written no bone, no spine, no strength, no courage. I pray Jesus breathe your life and bring life to the dead again. Because there is none like you, God. There is none like our King. All hail King Jesus. All hail, Emmanuel. We worship you, God. Strengthen feeble knees tonight, I pray. Strengthen, strengthen, strengthen. If upon your life, people would write no bone, no strength, no courage, I pray strength come to your bones now. If people upon your life would wait, there's no way out of this. I pray resurrection, life, and power upon your life tonight. worship this king most of my life and I would tell you he is worthy to be praised and taste and see that he is good allow him to reveal his goodness to you I promise you
you'll never be the same again. We worship you, God. Pray for healing in this place, King. For people who've trusted for healing for years, maybe decades, we ask for healing tonight. And we praise you, God. We praise you, God.